Good afternoon to you. Welcome to Monday's Richie Allen Show. I hope you had a fantastic weekend. My name is Richie Allen, broadcasting live from BBG Towers in the Hort of Salford, the Hort. Do you like that? Good to be with you as usual. It's the BBG, not the BBC. This is your Richie Allen Show, live from the magnificent city of Salford. It's the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live on richieallen.co.uk and multiple platforms around the world. And now, here's your host, Richie Allen. Welcome back, welcome back, welcome back. Right, it's um, going to be a very interesting program this evening. Christy Grace will return to the show. Looking forward to that. She's a scientist, a biotech specialist, and an expert in RNA, LNP, and recombinant proteins. We've had Christy on the show a couple of times. Very enlightening. She's one of a number of scientists who are paying very close attention to the mRNA COVID jabs and constantly collating data as to what the jabs are doing to people and how the jabs are doing negative things to people around the world. Christy's back on the programme. It's going to be very interesting. I've got some interesting questions for her. We've got some interesting questions. And you can join in via the website richieallen.co.uk. Drop me a message with a question or use the app. Download the app and message the studio directly. I'm always delighted to hear from you. So I am. Tough cookies on the French last night in the rugby. They went the same way as the Irish. They were very, very, very good. But just not enough in the end. South Africa advanced. It's been an amazing tournament, hasn't it? For those of you who care. I know you probably don't, or maybe you don't care. But yeah, it's been very exciting. I'm a bit sad for the French today. That's all the sports you're going to get from me this Monday. Now, the propaganda war precedes the ground war. I've been saying that for many, many years. We've been saying it recently. Before a country is invaded, the invading country, well, it unleashes all manner of propaganda on its own people and on the peoples of the world. The Israeli ambassador was on Sky News this morning with Kay Burley. I don't know if you managed to catch any of that. I'm the worst person in the world these days for pronunciations. So, um, her name is Chip Sippy Hotavelli, I think. She says, um, well, this is propaganda writ large. Have a listen, tell me what What's you think. What's the view on the humanitarian crisis in Gaza this morning? Oh, there is no humanitarian crisis. What, what was that now? Kay says, tell us about the humanitarian crisis and... What's the view on the humanitarian crisis in Gaza this morning? Oh, there is no humanitarian crisis because... There isn't. It, there is no. Uh, Comical Ali would be proud. Uh, Israel is in charge of the safety of the Israelis. Hamas is in charge of the safety of the Palestinians. Hamas abused every single support of the international community and instead of taking care of his people, it created this underneath tunnel of terror, a manufacturing of rockets that their own main target is to hurt innocent Jews in their homes. And this is the time that Hamas need to pay the price for its abuse, killing innocent Israelis, are now preventing from his own people to evacuate and to be safe. Israelis worked with the international organizations to make sure all Palestinian civilians will be safe. And we are giving them the opportunity to go south to a sheltered places, places that they will be safe. Unfortunately, the children of Kfar Aza, the people of Sderot, were not given this opportunity to be safe. They weren't alarmed. They didn't get alert. They were slaughtered in their beds. So Israel, Israel is just targeting military targets 
and we want the international community to make sure Hamas will bring back home all those kidnapped people, including British citizens, by the way. Yesterday, I got a phone call from uh, Israeli citizens that said the mother was shot and the two teenager girls, 13 and 16, are kept hosted in Gaza, British citizens. We've been showing pictures this morning that would illustrate that there is a humanitarian crisis in Gaza. Can I ask you something? Yeah. Are you a mother? Yes. What would you think if your children would have been executed in front of your eyes? Would you expect your government to think about those Nazis committing those crimes and to say, wait a second, first of all, we need to protect the enemy. And she went on and on and on. You're hearing the sound of a presenter being mugged off. That's a kid's word, a kid's phrase, excuse me, mugged off on her own programme, uh, taken, basically taken like a bitch on her own programme. I'm going to come on to your programme. I'm going to lie through my teeth and you're just going to sit there and take it because of where I come from. One million people have been displaced in Gaza. These are official figures. These are not my figures. These are not the Palestinian Authority figures. These are figures by the Red Cross, by Human Rights Watch, by Amnesty. One million gone, 3,000 dead, a thousand of those children. The hospitals still standing have run out of supplies. Netanyahu is doing everything he can to refuse uh, the, the humanitarian aid to come in there. It's ethnic cleansing. But the Israeli ambassador can go on Sky News and mug off the presenter and tell the presenter on national television no it's not a humanitarian crisis at all don't mind what your eyes are telling you and what your reporters are telling you on the ground right we'll leave that there it's the ultimate gaslighting kind of reminded me of Eddie Murphy in the stand-up uh, show Roar remember that the ultimate gaslighting guy gets caught shagging another woman by his own woman his own woman walks in on him while she, while he even is having it away with somebody else. She runs away screaming. He follows her and convinces her that it wasn't him at all. You didn't see what your eyes tell you you saw. It wasn't me. And then he convinces her it's her own fault. Wonderful stuff from Sky News. The propaganda war. Politics Live this afternoon. Ben Jamal. You may have seen him on TV of late from the Palestinian Solidarity Campaign. He was behind the rallies at the weekend. 150,000 or more turned out in London. Thousands more in Rushholm, in Manchester and other parts of the country to say, not in our name, don't bomb the beleaguered people of Gaza. Don't kill them. Don't murder their children. Show some restraint. Don't do that. Now, Ben Jamal, the Palestinian solidarity campaign guy, said he was shocked that the UK's political parties supported, verbally supported, Israel's right to cut off food, water, electricity and fuel to Gaza. Now, you know this is true. Everybody who was asked last week, did Israel have the right to blockade Gaza? Well, it already blockades Gaza, but to cut off food, water, electricity and fuel. They all said yes. Every one of them. Every one of the UK's political leaders said yes. Ben wasn't happy. So he expresses this to Politics Live on the BBC today. In response, you'll hear now Darren Jones. He's a Labour Party MP, the Shadow Chief Secretary to the Treasury. You'll hear Darren Jones, Labour. The question on whether politicians have been equivocal mm. or unequivocal, again, uh, that chat was factually incorrect. Every Labour Party politician, and I'm pretty sure every Conservative politician, has said that interventions must be within international law. We've called for access for humanitarian aid to innocent Palestinian civilians uh, that need it, and we're continuing to support uh, those um, uh, mechanisms to be opened and available to them. We've always said it is subject to international law. To say that we haven't is just factually incorrect, and he should apologise and correct the record. 
you want to apologise, Ben? Yo, can I come back? I'm, I'm yeah. very sorry. I don't know who it is I'm speaking so, oh, to. Oh, yes, so Darren, jo Darren Jones, who's Shadow Chief Secretary Jones. to the Treasurer well, of the Labour Party, and Catherine Fletcher, who's a Conservative this, this is Ben Jamalnu, Palestinian Solidarity. I'm not going to respond to his comments about well, what I you just I said you were going to respond, so please your, respond your to them. Viewers, your viewers can make their own judgments. Yeah, let well, me respond, respond to my comments. Me, you just said you were going to. That's why you're back Darren, if you would stop interrupting me... respond to the comments. That's why you're here. Uh, Darren, if you would stop interrupting me, I will be able to Ben, speak. you've had let a lot of time respond. to talk, but I haven't got as me, much time. But you need to answer respond, the questions Darren, that are put to, to you. what you have said. You have said that the Labour Party leadership has been unequivocal uh, in its statements of Israel's responsibilities to respect international law. Keir Starmer went on LBC. He was asked a straightforward question. Is it legitimate for Israel to cut off the supply of food, fuel, water and essential medical supplies to the people of Gaza? He said, yes, Israel was justified in doing that. He did indeed, right? A siege is appropriate. Cutting off power, cutting off water. Well, I think that Israel does have that right. It is an ongoing situation. Um, obviously, everything should be done within international law, but I don't want to step away from the sort of core principles that Israel has a right to defend herself yeah. and Hamas bears responsibility for these terrorist acts. So Starmer said, yeah, they did have the right to cut off food, water, electricity and fuel, and then said once it observed international law, which is an oxymoron. What an oxymoron Starmer is. What a perennial moron. You can't have the right to cut off food, water, electricity and fuel and do that within international law. Muppet, right? You can't be within international law by doing that. Did the Labour guy, Darren Jones, have any response? Let me ask you, Darren. Please. UNICEF yep. says that 700 Palestinian children were killed in the first seven days of Israeli bombing. They reckon it's a thousand now. Do you condemn that? Because that's a violation of international law under anybody's terms. Do you condemn that? And do you condemn well, let him, let him answer Israel's, those questions, Israel's instruction to over one million people to leave their homes or be responsible for their own deaths? Do you All condemn right. those actions? All right, I'll let Darren and then Catherine answer that question. Thank you. Of course, we always condemn uh, the loss of civilian life. Well, especially do you want to do it now? Do you no, want to, do you I, want to on, say ben, I condemn ben, you need those to, actions You do need Israel. to wait for ben, people ben, to respond, otherwise we're just going to have to let you go if we can't have a conversation oh, rather than a one-sided monologue. I suggest you might want to listen a bit more, Ben, and think more carefully about your own answers before criticising other people. I condemn it. And on your quote of Keir Starmer, I've got the quote here on my phone. You should read the whole paragraph. He says in that paragraph, in his answer on LBC, subject to international Law. He said they have the right to block the country off from water, from food, from fuel and from electricity, is what he said. Right, let's leave that there. We'll move on from this quickly because it's terribly depressing and I know you're depressed listening to it. I'm depressed. I've been covering this situation ever since I became a journalist, 25 years ago now. It's terribly depressing. Um, Israel is as Israel does. It murders innocent children. It's been doing it for decades and decades. And it's going to continue to do it. Listen, on that programme today, the guests decided to have a pop at the BBC for not labelling Hamas. First up is Matthew Goodwin, a professor of politics at Kent University. I weep for his students. Please, I think we'll this country has lost its moral compass. Well. I don't think we no longer understand the importance of taking a position on issues which are um, very clear-cut in the minds of ordinary people. A few days ago, the Brits were asked, 
do you think Hamas is a terrorist organisation or not? Two-thirds of the country said, yes, absolutely. So why can the BBC not refer to Because Hamas? the Palestinian people elected Hamas dickhead, you know this. It's been made clear. John Simpson of the BBC has explained this to everybody. I cannot believe I'm defending the BBC. I mean, we've moved on from this. Whether the BBC refers to them as terrorists or not, the BBC reported for three solid days the crimes of the Hamas militants or terrorists in southern Israel. They reported on it. That's their job. They did it. It's not for them to determine whether they're terrorists or not. Ultimately, it's for the people watching to determine for themselves. Let's leave that goon alone from the University of Kent. And then Mark Gardner. You've probably never heard of him. He's a Jewish guy. He's the chief executive of the Community Security Trust, the CST. Do you know what that does? It's an organisation which claims to protect Jews from violence and from anti-Semitism. Bunch of hired thugs, maybe. I don't know. He says the BBC has a duty to call Hamas terrorists. And then he says... People won't fully understand the reasons for the horrors to come in Gaza if the BBC doesn't call Hamas terrorists. This is quite startling. Beeb, you need to call them terrorists because if you don't, people won't understand the reasons for the carnage to come in the days and weeks ahead. Listen, just in case you think I'm exaggerating. What I'm hearing in the meetings that I'm doing with the Jewish community it's not concerns about the government. It's not concerns about the police. It's concerns about the way that the BBC and Sky cover this conflict, the framing that you put on it, your refusal to call terrorism terrorism, the feeling that if it had happened against anybody else, that that's how you would call it. And if you don't call it that, mm. then the scenes that we're about to see unfold in Gaza are far harder for people to understand why. Wow, I mean, you just you, you cannot make that up, can you, really? Can you? In the scenes that we're about to see unfold in... Let's go back another couple of seconds there. If you don't call it terrorism... That's how you would call it. And if you don't call it that, mm. then the scenes that we're about to see unfold in Gaza are far harder for people to understand why it's occurring. All right, Similarly well, I mean, with the yeah. FA as wow. well. If you don't tell your listeners and your viewers that Hamas are terrorists or is a terrorist organisation, they won't be able to understand the carnage coming out of Gaza in the days ahead. We want you to be our propagandistic bitch, BBC. Effectively, we want you to help cleanse the minds of people, right, to programme people into thinking that what is about to come is justifiable because Hamas is a terrorist organisation. It's quarter past the hour. Monday's programme, Richie Allen with you till 7 o'clock this evening as usual. Mm. Let's leave it alone, right? Israel for now, Palestine for now. Let's leave it. We'll see maybe later. Um, this is very interesting. Let's, let's um, focus on Ireland for a couple of minutes, a couple of moments. I came across something very interesting today. Ireland's education minister is Norma Foley. And she's been fielding questions from the Irish media about the new draft social, personal and health education. All of this is lockstep stuff, you know. These new education curriculums or curricula, I don't know how you say it, but you know these new social, personal, health curriculum um, drafts, they, they want to change the way they approach teaching um I don't know, sex education and personal development education. They want to change the way they teach these things to children and it seems the changes are happening in lockstep around the world. I'm not being 
I'm not exaggerating there, right? So in Ireland, it's S-P-H-E. Foley was being um, questioned by the media. And a guy called Ben Scallon from an organisation called Gripped managed to get a question in. And he wanted to know why the new draft curriculum asks students to accept they have a privileged status if they are white, if they are male, or if they are Irish. Surely they're not teaching that to children, are they? Let's have a listen. Minister, just regarding the SPHE curriculum again, uh, one of the things that was proposed in the draft was uh, the teaching of people being privileged, the idea that if you're a white person, an Irish person, or a male, that you should recognise your privileged status in society. Is, is that something that you believe in as well? Do, for example, Irish people have inherent privilege? Do Irish people have inherent privilege? I wouldn't have thought so. What does the Minister for Education, Norma Foley, say in response? And, and thank you for the question. I think what is being taught really in our is that each one of us have a responsibility to look out for the next, um, to support the next, if a person uh, or an individual, whether within the school community or outside of, and I want to acknowledge the great work that's done in schools in terms of looking further afield as well, in terms of respecting others, ensuring that all that we would do um, in our schools and all that we would do as individuals and collectively would be um, acknowledged that we would um, support, respect, be mindful of the challenges or difficulties that any one person would have at any, good, uh, any given time. And if we are in a better position, then that we would at any given time support someone else. And that swings and roundabouts in life, isn't it? You know, at any given time, one person can be in a, in a a better position than another and then very quickly afterwards that could change the other way around. Well that's bollocks what she's saying there and that sort of thing comes from the from, from the from the kids' parents in any case. You know, if you happen to notice somebody around you who maybe doesn't have it as well off or doesn't have it as good as you do, somebody who might be struggling to understand something in a classroom, well, you know, it's the Christian thing to do to give them a hand, you know. If somebody is hungry and you've got a full sandwich, offer them a little bit of your sandwich. What's this really all about? This has got nothing to do with privileged status and the idea that a white person, a male or an Irish person is automatically privileged. She's doing what politicians do. She's talking bollocks and hoping to move on to the next inter uh, viewer or the next questioner, but she doesn't get away with it. And that's what's been taught in our schools, cultivating generosity of spirit, cultivating inclusion, cultivating respect for within the school community, but also ensuring that as citizens, that they be active citizens where they, um, you know, proactively contribute to society and seek to do better for themselves, but to do better for wider society also. That's a bit mad, isn't it? We want them to be proactive, these kids, active citizens. In other words, again, this is all about, um, we've said this before, allyships, you know. Remember when this came in a few years ago, people being encouraged to signal, to signal that they were, say, an ally of the LGBTQ plus community. You know, it was kind of put upon people in certain companies that not appearing to be or signalling that you were an ally of your gay colleagues might, in, might infer or it could be inferred that you had something against gay people. And that's where she's going with this, you know. We want to encourage kids that they've got to be out there virtue signalling, basically. We've got, we, we want our white Irish male pupils to be, you know, demonstrating that they're, you know, that they, they, they cast off their, their privilege and that they're always looking to be an ally to somebody seemingly less privileged or less well-off than they are. 
It's crazy stuff. He comes back. All, all of that's wonderful, and, and that, that sounds like a great thing to teach children. But the, the problem is, you, you know yourself from the draft curriculum, it doesn't really say that. It says that people should, children should recognize their privileged status specifically as a white person, an Irish person, or a male. It doesn't say that whoever you are, if, if you have advantages that other people don't have, you should help your fellow citizens who are less well off. It's specifically categorizing people by their nationality, their race, and their gender. Is, isn't that really inappropriate? Well, I, I, I again, I think, and I suppose I'll only speak from my own experience in the classroom, which is more than 25 years of but experience I'm, I'm, in the classroom. But I'm really sorry, Minister, but I'm asking you about the draft curriculum. I'm not asking you about your... I, I, I respect you probably have a, a great experience in the classroom, and I, I appreciate that, but it's just, it's not relating to what I'm asking you. I'm asking you about this specific draft curriculum about the SPAG. Can we and talk about that, please? And again, uh, I suppose in the first instance, as you say, what you're referring to here is a draft, and I'm saying to you that the experience within the school will always be to focus on where you're in a position to want to, and each one of us wants our desires for each one of us to improve our own outlook in life. As we do that, we would seek to do likewise for others, irrespective of their background, irrespective of their gender. It's about fostering inclusivity it's fucking communism is what it is we're saying to children as you seek to do well as you seek to compete you might be competing in the classroom for first place at the end of the year you might be looking for a place on a course at secondary level or at third level you know we want you to be mindful of the fact that there are others well well maybe i'm brighter than some of those others maybe just maybe or maybe i work damn hard at what it is I do to be a little bit better than the others. And maybe it's up to the others to do what I do, to take a leaf out of my book, to be influenced by by my approach, to maybe pull themselves up by their own bootstraps, you know. And you're speaking to a trade unionist here. I'm not a conservative or somebody who's on the right. This is crazy stuff. It's 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 not communism, it's communitarianism, it's mental. You know? And kids most kids are brought up anyway to be kind to their peers, to look out for their classmates or their neighbours who, you know, might need looking after from time to time. Crazy stuff, this. Dangerous. And as I said, lockstep, these programmes, S-P-H-E, P-H-S-E, it is in England, funnily enough, uh, in the UK, um, lockstep, everywhere you look, they're going after the minds of children. It's very unlikely at this stage, barring a miracle, that I'll ever be a daddy, dear listener. That's depressing for a Monday. But um, no child of mine would ever walk through the gates of any school. Not with this craziness. I mean, how could you re- How could you hand your child over to that madness? It is crazy, isn't it? This is Monday's Richie Allen Show. We're going to stay with Ireland for a minute, by the way. Thank you for your messages, because I, I did manage to catch over the weekend an interview with the Irish Taoiseach, the Taoiseach, on Taoiseach. Uh, that's Micheál Martin, uh, Fianna Fáil at the moment. They pass it around like they play past the parcel. There's no democracy in Ireland. Uh, this guy Martin was in Cork on Friday, and he gave an interview to a guy called Neil Prendeville, who I know, but I doubt he remembers me very much. Prendeville has been presenting for a radio station in Cork for over 30 years. He's been the mid-morning guy. And I remember him when I was the producer of my mid-morning guy, so we, we bumped into each other once or twice. But anyway, a long time ago, Prendeville is still there. And he had the Irish Prime Minister, as a Taoiseach, in the studio, and Prendeville wanted to get into open-door migration policies. It's kind of interesting. The frustration amongst people, and loads of asked people to text, and over yeah. and over again, is the open-border policy. I was looking at the numbers. The budget set aside $2.5 billion for Ukrainians fleeing war for 2024. That's on top of the $2 billion this year. 
and 1 billion the year before. Like, that's 5.5 billion euro. It's an incredible amount of money. So you have over 94,000 Ukrainian refugees with all of the trappings that are entitled to them, even though they're not part of the European Union. But the international protection order applications are up 186% since 2019. 61% of those coming into the country have no documentation. Um, and they get, and they're an immediate cost to the state. They're going from countries that would be regarded as, as quite safe. And people are very, very worried or angry or annoyed that that kind of money is being spent when it could have been spent helping Irish people if you had the will to do it before the war in the Ukraine. Wow, good stuff from Neil Prendeville, right? What does uh, Micheál Martin on Taoiseach say? So people come in with no documentation. They're immediately a cost on the Irish taxpayer. And he didn't go far enough, Prendeville. He could have said they're an immediate cost on communities where facilities and resources are pretty stretched thin or stretched pretty thin even. But anyway, he did his best. What does Micheál say? Well, what would you do? What would I do? No, so I'm just, yeah, I would I'm, close the borders. The cheek of Micheál Martin asking him what would he do, you know. You're answering the questions, Dipstick, is what Prendeville should have said, but he didn't. The war in the Ukraine. Well, what would you do? What would I do? No, so I'm just, yeah, I would I'm, close the borders. That's shocking. Why? Have you any humanity? I mean, have you any humanity? Asks Tishuk Mihol Martin to a radio presenter. Have you any humanity? It's not about that. It's about I, I, people I, I, saying no, at this know, stage no, no, Neil, that we cannot on. do anymore. Neil, I was at an event last night in Dublin um, celebrating Ireland and Canada's relationship. He's going to make an equivalence now between Irish people leaving during the famine which wasn't really a famine, but for another day, is going to draw an equivalence between Ireland's lunatic policy towards migration, which it is at the moment, right? He's going to make an equivalence with Irish people going to stay in Canada during the famine. Um, and after the famine in 1847, oh, Jesus. 1849, about 40,000 people arrived in Toronto. And they had a population of 20,000. They took a starving Irish in on that occasion. Now, the way to deal with migration... They didn't take the starving Irish in. Do you know what happened to the 40,000 Irish who arrived in Toronto? Would you like me to tell you? They ended up working as slave labour in farms and in infant factories. Um, you know, honestly, look it up if you don't believe me. The 40,000 Irish didn't go there. And when they got there, the first thing that happened in 1847, the Canadians came rushing up to them and said, listen, we'll put you up in a hotel, right? And we'll kick all the guests out. And we'll tell the local people they can't have their 21st fucking birthday parties in there. That's not what happened, Hall. And Neil Prendeville, I would have had more respect for Prendeville. Now, look, I know I'm a thousand times better than these mainstream radio presenters, he says eating his own ice creams and, you know, I'm giving myself, what, what does Caroline say? Giving myself flowers. I'm doing that tongue firmly in cheek. I don't hold myself in such high regard. But I'm a damn sight better than those presenters. I mean, stop him in mid-flight and say, come on, pal. What do you think happened when those 40,000 Irish got to Canada? They were used and abused. Fantastic. Cheap labour. And that's exactly what's happening now. So maybe there is an equivalence. I don't know. What do you think? And what you've, oh, oh, it's not an open border policy. You can do all you like. We've seen in but Britain. It, but international protection orders no, is an open no, border if, not, they can, no, if they come in with that, documentation. That's all kind of simplistic stuff. We had that in Britain. It's simplistic stuff, says Micheál Martin to the presenter, who should again hammer him. It's not simplistic. You have an open border policy. We know that you've got NGOs in parts of Africa and elsewhere telling people, come to Ireland. You'll get it all. This has been proven. I can prove it, right? Uh, so for him to say it's disingenuous, well, that's an, another way of saying he's a pathological liar. 
You know, it is an open border policy. With Conservative parties saying we'll do this and we'll do that, they couldn't stop any migration. You know why? Why, Hall? Why could they not stop any migration in the UK? Now, I think we know the real answer. It's because politicians don't have any power whatsoever. They are front men and front women for other people who do have power. Politicians do what they are told. The Ireland's approach to immigration is not the brainchild of Micheál Martin, Leo Varadkar, go, go back to Bertie Ahern, go back before him, Gareth Fitzgerald, go back before that. No. No, no, they're told what to do, these people. So anyway, tell us why. Why can you not stop immigration? Mihol. People will do anything to leave some of these countries because of war, because of conflict. Now, let's take Ukraine. Let's take Ukraine. People were bombed. Their houses were bombed. Energy was bombed. It's, to, it's the first war on European mainland since World War II. Where did you find the money for uh, it, though? The point is, I'm, what I'm trying to say to you is we have to have some degree of humanity. No, we believe well, Radker has... Oh, yeah. He won't answer the question posed by the presenter. Right, right. You're, you're going to go off into a big preamble about the poor Ukrainians. And, of course, we know there's a much bigger story there, too, don't we? Which probably Neil Prendeville doesn't know. Big preamble about the Ukrainians and God love them. They were fleeing wars and what would anybody do? Prendeville asks the salient question, the prescient, the important question... Where are you getting the money from? Where's the money coming from? Um, and he could, if he wanted a printable, go into, you know you're going to have to find 5 billion euro a year to turn the country into a net zero paradise. So where are you finding the money for all of these people? But uh, he doesn't get any answers. That, that we should pretty much stop and send but, money but instead. Sorry, I think in the immediate aftermath of that war, people had to leave certain localities because of the brutality of the war. Yeah, I, I went to Bucha, I went to Irpin, I saw photographs of men with their hands tied behind the back, bullets in their heads and murdered. Um, and people fled war because Putin does this. He, he weaponizes migration. Putin recognises migration, says Micheál Martin. It's worth hearing the final bit of this. Have a listen. And he wants to create a migratory pressure in Europe so that but we do, all fold. I understand and we allow him to take but over do Ukraine. Not, do you not acknowledge uh, that there is a waning popularity in well, other I countries do. besides this, us? It's the same this, in the UK, Germany, yeah, France, yeah, Poland, yeah. even America. I do. Yeah. Of course it's not. I mean, people don't like, like the pressures it has. Although I think Irish people, there's another side to the story. A lot of Irish people out there have welcomed Ukrainians in. And a lot of people out there have facilitated Ukrainians coming in uh, to Ireland. Not but because of the emergency that the war represented, because of the attack on humanity, because of the attack on women and children. Women and children. They always go to the women and children, eh? So you're saying we should let them there to be bombed I'm, in bits? Uh, no, I'm not saying that at well, all. What are you saying? I, I'm... I'm saying, I mean, that, saying, I'm like? saying when, when do you say enough is enough? I'm, well, saying, that, I'm saying that people yeah. contact me every day yeah. talking about their own struggles in their lives and everything yeah. everything comes down to money or <clears> lack <throat> of money coming into a household. Can I just say, the guardian are quitting yeah. in their droves. The nurses yeah. and teachers are emigrating. The nursing homes are closing. The creches are closing. Mm. The preschools, the daycare, all about ah, come money. On, on. Um, you need to be balanced in perspective in your analysis, Neil. But you, 22,000. I'm, I'm not telling you one word of a lie. Well, I tell you, no. You're not telling the truth either. Because 22,000 extra people came into the health service in the last two years. You don't say that. You've no balance or perspective to your presentation, and you have an obligation to be balanced. But I would respectfully say to you, no. And the station has. What are the 22,000 new staff members gonna, doing if people are sitting on trolleys? And actually, funnily enough, the, no, back actually, when you were minister, more, back when you were minister for health, you and many politicians yeah, said you would get rid of hospital trolleys and you'd have everybody in the pension. At and it goes on and on and on and on. Yeah. The Irish Prime Minister, Micheál Martin, in conversation with a guy called Neil Prendeville, who broadcasts out of Cork about Ireland's open door, open border 
immigration policy. It's coming up for 28 and a half minutes to the top of the hour. This is the Richie Allen Show, broadcasting live from BBG Towers in Salford. It's great to be with you. Christy Grace is standing by. Lots to get into with Christy. She'll be with me in three minutes' time. That is uh, Simple Minds, don't you forget about me. 25 minutes it is to the top of the hour. Monday's programme, the 16th of October 2023. Huge interest in my guest, uh, understandably. Mentioned at the very top of the programme, she is a scientist, a biotech specialist and an expert in RNA, LNP and recombinant proteins. We first met her back in the early spring. She came on to tell us just exactly how the mRNA COVID jabs can harm some recipients, more maybe recipients than most people uh, imagine. Or, 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 or can imagine, I, I should say. She's uh, one of a number of biotech specialists and scientists who continue to observe the rollout of the COVID mRNA jabs because it's still uh, the rollout, right? And they're offering boosters here in this country to people over 50 and to anybody considered to be vulnerable. Let's welcome back to the programme the one and only Christy Grace. It's great to have you back, Christy. How are you? It's great to be here. Can you hear me okay? Loud and clear. You've got a lovely mic. Very professional for a Monday. I like that. <laughs> Listen, you are That's welcome back. Yeah, I know. Things generally tend to get smoother as the week develops. But um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm delighted you're back. I wanted to first ask you, Robert Malone, doctor on parade. I, I don't know the guy. Maybe I shouldn't be sarcastic. But Robert Malone, who's a physician based in, in your country, he reckons he's seen data suggesting that 2% or less of Americans who've been offered a booster have turned it down. Have you seen that evidence or have you seen those figures? And if so, if he's right, that's that's good, isn't it? That's something to be positive about? I think it is something to be positive about. I just want to make sure that you're not getting any feedback through my audio right now no. i was getting a little bit i just wanted to make sure it wasn't reverbing back no through. no it's not no it's 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 beautifully crystal there's nothing right. coming through but you so um so so to malone then i, I mean I, I was really heartened by that two percent or less saying yes jab me again please i i know that there is like you had said and others had said that there is a lower uptake right now that I think it was 5% in the United States of the boosters and people are not getting them. So, so that was the question, correct? If there were lower, uh, yeah, lower numbers of people getting them? That's right, yeah. And and maybe that's down to a collective effort in the independent media, your, yourself, obviously your colleagues, constantly putting the information out there that you need to know a little bit more about these jobs before you um, submit yourself for one. So, no, I'm just saying it's really positive. I'm, I'm quite delighted to hear this, to be honest. I think, Richie, and for your listeners and those of the people that have been injured and harmed, I don't know someone who doesn't know someone who hasn't been harmed. Everyone I know, and this is just anecdotal, and the people that I speak to know someone has who has had some kind of adverse event. Some are debilitating. Some people lost family members. I've had more than one family member. I know, 
everyone I know, people at my doctor's offices, everybody knows someone who has been harmed. So I wonder if it is not just the people speaking out, but people are seeing their friends get sick, get cancer, die, blood clot city. Yeah. I'm curious your thoughts. I mean, do you know people yeah. in your your circles that have been harmed in some way? And I'm not talking about Twitter or social media. I'm talking about in your family and friend network. Yeah, we we have a couple of like yourself. We we have dogs, so every day we're out and we're out and about with the dogs. <laughs> I was going to ask how your dogs doing. They're they're doing great, thanks, Christy. Yeah, they're they're the great introducers, aren't they? If you've got a dog, you are going to end up speaking to somebody whether you like it or not. You're going to have um, communication with people. But you know what it is? Um, there, there, are, there are a couple of people we know. One lady who might be listening, her name is Ruth. She won't mind me saying this because she's been pretty open about it. Um, she's had a pretty terrible reaction to it and has a blood disorder that her own GP, her own doctor, is, is, they've acknowledged that the jab was 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 uh, the reason the the jab was the cause basically, yeah and we know others my my um my better half, my my missus who's French her her family uh, her mum had a pretty serious reaction to the second jab so that's a good point you're making I think you're saying that irrespective of what you're doing and what the independent media is doing, even though the mainstream media doesn't want to talk about it, it can't hide it in the community right it can't hide it because people speak. And people know, and maybe that's playing a big part in in people's reluctance to um to come forward. Right, and their own experiences of what they have gone through, even if it wasn't lasting, which is still bad. When you have, when when you go in and you are expecting this thing to protect you or keep you safe, and it doesn't do any of those things, because as we know, people are also speaking out and saying, "Hey, I got these injections." I, I got what, what you told me to do, and I'm still getting COVID. In fact, we are seeing infections that are multiplying and are coming alongside COVID. There is a large number of the student population right now in the city that I live in, which is a large college city, where mono is going through like wildfire, and the students are getting mono and COVID at the same time. And they've had all of their, their injection series and full vaccination and boosters because they were told it would protect them, and now they are doubly sick. They're landing in the hospital. They can't bite off the infection because their their bodies just just been wrecked. And are they asking questions, Christy? Yeah, yeah, I get a lot of uh, well, just people asking me, and a lot of hushed tones. And I've talked to other scientists, and then people in the medical community who have people approaching them as well in different areas, not just in the state that I live in but other areas in the U.S. and in other countries where, where people are well aware of what's going on. And they, yeah, they some of them don't know what to do because they're stuck in whatever setting they are in, in the hospital where they have their own administration policies. Some hospitals are no longer allowing religious exemptions. That's horrible. So people That's are horrible. fed up. Yeah, and you know the Guardian newspaper, um, George Monbiot, who is one of their feature writers, they they've been screaming today for the reintroduction of of um, restrictions of COVID restrictions, screaming for masks to come back in in hospitals, but not just in hospitals in in any in any indoor public setting. So if you're in a restaurant or a bar, so all of this stuff is being ramped up again. 
And let, let me ask you this before we, we get into the mRNA jabs. When I'm not as eloquent as you, I'm not, I, I really am not. And I, I try to explain to people over the years, people who said to me in the, in the past two years, I'm vulnerable. You have a moral duty, an, an ethical duty as a human being to take precautions to help so so that I don't get get ill, and, you know. And I've said to people, and I'm I, I'm an old lefty, as I've said to you before, trade unionist. I've said to people, well, look, if you're unfortunately unwell and you're vulnerable to infection, you need to do all that you can do to boost yourself naturally to help yourself during the winter. But it's very wrong to ask me to curtail my own life because. It might help you, you know. I've actually made an analogy, Christy. I've said to people in the past, listen, I'll do that. You know, I won't work as much. I'll stay indoors and I'll lose money. Will Will you help pay my bills at the end of the month? And that's usually when the vulnerable person runs away. So look, George Monbiot in The Guardian today, he said there are 2.2 million vulnerable people in the UK. They are vulnerable to COVID. We have a moral duty to help them. So I'll be devil's advocate right today. We do, Christy. We do have a moral duty and we should wear masks and we should maybe, you know, restrict our... In fact, one of the things he said today, Christy, was we should have less... Or somebody somebody connected to him said we should have less... Like, go out for less lunches, basically. Don't go out so often to lunch because that will make a difference this winter and help the vulnerable. What say you? Just stay inside. First off, I feel that you are a wonderful communicator, and you and I have had this talk. Yeah. <laughs> that we have great chats, and you are great at conveying a clear message to people, and you say what you mean, and you don't mince words. And I really appreciate your show, and I don't always get to listen when I want because I've been really busy, but thank you so much for your show and all the guests you've had on and the talks. You've had amazing conversations. Thank you very so much. Thank you for that. You're yeah. very welcome. Can't, Thank you. I can't wait to visit, really. It'd be great we get you over here, yeah. yeah. So, but, uh, answer to that your then. other thing, I mean, yeah. Dr. Dr. J. Bhattacharya out of Stanford has brought this up over and over again, speaking to the compassion of people that have been weaponized. And that has been really close to his exact words, and others have said this too, where the compassion of people have been weaponized, and we have treated people like they are the plague. They are the carriers of the plague and they are vectors of death. And children were treated like death, like carriers of death and isolated to the extent where we have a whole generation now of children that are behind to the extent that the CDC of the United States has changed the milestones in children of when they are supposed to be acquiring certain knowledge and behaviors like speaking the first time they would say their first word or go to go to the bathroom on their own or be able to speak in sentences they actually pushed that out farther even though they're not admitting it that just happened the last couple of years because kids were forced to be at home be virtual no one was there wear masks and i'm unsure how things are going in your country but here a lot of the cities and I've talked to, so I have friends who are teachers in multiple cities and, you know, I'm changing careers to, to work in trauma right now. So I'm connected to a lot of these people where they are saying almost half of students in metropolitan cities, half are not showing up for class. If they are, they're just sitting outside of class. If they are in class, 
So many of them cannot regulate their emotions. They don't know basic math anymore. And this doesn't have to do with just the progressive areas that have changed their rules on, you know, that's another top for another talk for another day. But but kids that they don't even know math anymore. They're having to create additional math classes to catch kids up. And we are facing something that could be catastrophic for an entire generation. And fear and compassion was weaponized. And like when you said, when sure, there there are people that are are vulnerable. I have an autoimmune disorder. So so when but I I'm going outside. <laughs> Knock on yeah, wood. Yeah. But I I, sh- I need I need to take those precautions because the, I mean that those those are my concerns. So but the people sure people could mask, but then it doesn't stop the spread. Like we know, it just stops. If you could wear like an N95 that's well fitted or an N99 that's what's called NIOSH approved. So I think the other masks don't do much except for what's called. Uh, Oh, I can't even think of the phrase. I didn't. I didn't really sleep. For those listening, I I told Richie I might be a little slap happy today, and uh, if he asked me certain questions, I, I might uh, I might not have a filter. But uh, we like that. There's no filters <laughs> on this program anyway. Nobody nobody's got to filter here. Yeah, you are. But, but yeah, what, what, compassion was weaponized, and people were pitted against one another. And now we have a further divide. Where if you go on dating apps, people are listing themselves as vaxxed, boosted, won't even talk to people. I had someone recently that I just met that I wanted to spend time with who sent me a laundry list of things that she wanted to know that I had done. Like, I was I fully vaccinated? When was the last time I had COVID? She doesn't even have an immune disorder. Christy Grace is our guest. that's a therapist. That woman's a therapist. A therapist, yeah. The, the, the late development you, you described a moment ago, yeah, that's been covered even in the mainstream media here with uh, preschoolers not being as 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 um, verbal as they should be, not having the vocabulary they should have, the numeracy issues you described, it's been reported here as well. So massive changes, massive societal changes brought about by the lockdowns and by beautifully put the weaponization of of compassion. Christy Grace is our guest. So I'm going to I'm going to say a couple of things now, and you can mark my homework, right? Because even though we covered some of this ground in, in May, I think it's very important to cover it again. Because, things um, have come up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, if I can find this now. Yeah, here we Sorry, go. Sorry, I didn't mean to no, interrupt no. you. Yeah, go ahead. New things have come up. And I just want to say when we speak about other things, I also have a degree in sociology that is community and environmental sociology with a focus on public health disparities, human rights, and international law. I've also been in graduate school for three different psychology degrees and one that I am completing now as I change careers. I'm 48. So when we speak to things like that as well, that's actually been my focus is trauma and attachment trauma, which you could probably have a whole show on. And Jordan Peterson could probably talk about because the kids getting masked isn't just about their speech and language development. It is their safety and watching the faces of others and their parents to know when something is safe or not. Say if you know you're out in the woods and or you're out with your dogs on a walk and you say if you had a kid and you saw a snake go by, your child would watch the expression on your face to see how you reacted. And that builds what are called schemas and reactions within the limbic system to know when something's safe or unsafe in the future. And that and that's pretty much tanked now. So, so we've got all these kids that are in trouble 
not just for their language skills, not just for developmentally, but when it comes to their emotional regulation and their limbic system. Because Jordan Peterson's also made this this analogy too. Like if you go with your dogs and you were walking towards the edge of a cliff, the part of your brain that recognizes that it is unsafe is older than the part of the brain that knows what a tree is and is a, is able to identify that. So the the masking, the lockdowns, that has just violated that whole part of the body processes for these kids. So I'm like, sorry to say, I'm talking to other people that uh, have been students in psychology or are now psychologists. People are these people are extraordinarily worried beyond just the milestones of learning of what kids are going to go through very soon. And what but sort, you were, yeah. sorry to jump in there. No, no, good. Very, very good. And what sort of... I'm writing ad, a book on it right now. You're writing so a book a couple, right now, yeah. yeah. I've got two psychologists who have uh, jumped in and wanted to hen- lend a hand who know me from Twitter. So now X. Thanks, guys. Yeah, brilliant. Yeah, I look forward to that, Christy. Yeah, it's hugely important that. Yeah, because in 15 years' time, well, in 10 years' time, they'll be running things, won't they? 12 years' time many of these uh, kids who've been affected in the way you've just described. Now, before you talked about the developments and the discoveries, I think it was it was a good way to mention at the beginning that what you've been doing, you and your, your scientific colleagues and your biotech colleagues, is constantly, continuously, very um, diligently, I think, watching the data emerging day in, day out, week in, week out, as to what the jobs are doing, but also looking at evidence you know, hard evidence, under the microscope evidence as to um, how this is happening. But but I wanted to say, just for listeners who might be a little bit new to this, and I don't want to spend more than three minutes on this, but I've read some very interesting descriptions of what mRNA, messenger RNA vaccines are supposed to do. Um, I, I, I want to read you a couple of these very, very quickly because they, they might help some of our um, um Listen, so maybe you don't understand. Um, you brilliantly described how the the legacy, if you want to call them vaccines, worked, where you got a little bit of a pathogen uh, introduced to your system so that the body would build up antibodies against it. And then if you were exposed to the pathogen, your body would go into action and fight off the infection. The mRNA is uh, completely different. Uh, synthesized without the need for cells or for pathogens. Somebody described them as like the mRNA sending an email to your cells with the instructions on how to um, to construct what you need to fight off uh, COVID, for example, but that once the instructions had been delivered to the cell, the email deletes and it disappears and you've got nothing to worry about. That's one scientific explanation of mRNA jabs that I read. I think that's kind of helpful for people who might struggle, you know, because I struggle with understanding some of the terminology. But on the face of it, that doesn't sound like the worst idea in the world, so it doesn't, on the face of it, taking it at face value. Right. I, I think I had a similar analogy, and it was the first time you and I talked in the spring, and it was yeah. in March, and then I, we talked again in May, where I used the analogy of a supercomputer yeah. in the center of a cell, and that it had Word documents. So it was a similar analogy that had instructions for making the spike protein, and it would kick it out of the nucleus, and the instructions were kind of like the blueprint that would feed into a 3D printer that would then print out the spike protein. Right. But then what happens when the 3D printer gets exhausted and it's supposed to be making other stuff? or what the, And the intended 
consequences are that these things don't exist in a vacuum. I think I mentioned in the designing of the projects that I've done from start to finish that a lot of researchers out in the world don't design their own things. I mean, some do. Um, some that are involved in these circles do. They absolutely do all of their own work. But some researchers have an idea in their head of, say, an antibody that they want to make, and they don't know how to get there. They just know what they want it to do at the end. So a lot of times, you know, they'd contact someone like me who would design the project start to finish. But we could repeat the, the same project, just so your listeners know this, we could use the same exact ingredients. We could use the same gene sequence, which is the instructions for making the thing, the RNA, and we could put it in a lipid nanoparticle that's this little blob of stuff, and we could put it in the same type of cell. Like a one type of cell is a Chinese hamster ovary cell that's used a lot, or the controversial human embryonic kidney cell. But we could put it in the same cell, same condition, same amount, you know, to where the cell's making the protein and just the way you said, but we could have a different outcome. And the phrase that we said time and time again is that biology is going to do what biology is going to do. And that's just in a lab where things are changing. We're not talking about human body where people have different uh, medications they're taking. Uh, you know, some of the threads on Twitter that I've made trying to help people learn because there's so many people reaching out saying that it's super helpful that this stuff hasn't been gone over on other other uh, shows. So thanks for having me on to explain stuff. But you know, other other people could have different ions in their blood, a slightly different pH, that uh, they could be on different medications. Uh, women have estrogen, which prevents, protects them from myocarditis. That's what we're seeing a lot of that in males is uh, estrogen is actually a protective mechanism for that. Um, there, there's just so, there's just so much stuff that uh, is more involved than just a simple, oh, look at me to thing. We also know because of the differences within the lipid nanoparticle that the pieces of RNA, the instructions got mutated via multiple ways. And some of that's been some newer, newer things that I've been posting about, especially mutating without even the plasmids. There's another thing mutating the RNA that will make it make a toxic protein or one that misfolds. And that could lead to a neurodegenerative disease if there's a lot of it. I'm going to say a bit of that now. Stuff. Yeah. So if I understand you and this is, um, I'm glad you're breaking it down like this because uh, it's very difficult for me to understand at the best of times, right? Um, but you're doing a terrific job of it as you did previously. So if I understand it, they, they came up with mRNA vaccine technology, obviously not just for COVID, but for other things as well, cancers and stuff. That but was initially though, just to make that clear, Richie, before 2019, it was only for really small groups of people that have genetic disease or cancer, maybe 40 or 50 people, kids that aren't going to live a long time, people that are going through a lot of pain and are going to expect a lifetime of suffering or a shorter life. And this platform with the RNA was plan B. And that's when it's made on its best day. And that's as what they mean. As it can be. Yeah, and that's still what, has side effects. Still has side effects. And that's what they mean by gene therapy, right? That's when, when, when people like... You and others, three years ago, were saying gene therapy. Can, can I ask you just to confirm something you said? It sure. sounds very much to me like you said one of the big problems from the start was they made mRNA jabs, but they treated them as a one-size-fits-all jab. In other words, they didn't take into consideration 
that we're all different in the world. We're all taking different medications, as you said. You mentioned ions. You mentioned other conditions that people live with. People's environments, of course, are different. All of these things were going to be factors in how people... Um, how people reacted to these jabs, but they didn't take any of this into consideration. Is that what I understand? Yes, and there's many factors in that. And one has been the, when you talked about ions, is the charge, the electrical charge, the surface charge that's on the outside of the lipid nanoparticle that impacts where it goes in the body and what it reacts with, depending on where it's there, or what's there, rather. And the... There's been new studies that just came out, new information just over the last week on verified contamination levels correlating to adverse events and with those batches, a high rate of myocarditis. So I, I didn't know if you wanted to have a chat about that. I didn't want to lecture your your audience, I know the first talk we ever did, I felt like that's what we no, did. No, and it was the second good. time, it was more of a conversation. No, no, good, like, because so long as... So long, I mean, you, you, you do it anyway on, on Twitter. It's <laughs> at, at underscore heart of grace underscore. So it's at underscore heart of grace underscore. Follow Christy on Twitter. Just as you, because you will keep in mind that I'm the lowest common denominator. I'm not being modest here. Um, Did you see my tweets today? I mean, I drew plus and minuses, Richie, with crayons on it. I know, with crayons, paper. with crayons. That's that's the level. That's the level I'm asking for, right? I did. Yeah, and that's, that's what I'm asking for here as well. So yeah, because obviously myocarditis. Because um, any email coming into the program about adverse events, you know, if I hear from a, a listener who knows somebody who's had a problem after a jab, it does tend to be the heart. So um, so this is bang up to date now. What you're discovering and what you're hearing at the moment with respect to myocarditis. It's all yours. Thanks so much. And, and there's a, I don't know how much time we have. Do we have another hour? Yeah, we're, we're, we're off air at seven o'clock, which is um, 59 minutes and 30 seconds. All right. So in the last couple of shows, we talked initially about Kevin McKernan, who is a specialist, genomic specialist, has his own company, I think over 20 years, worked with uh, for MIT, which is really known for some really great work that they do in very specialized detail, and the best of the best minds are there. But we knew that he had discovered contamination of the, the jabs with DNA plasmids. And people have tried to push back on that and say that that's not a big deal. Well, the problem is it's inside this lipid nanoparticle. And I think before I used the analogy to try to Think of a physical way people can think of it is think of it like an orange. Think of a lipid nanoparticle like an orange. The outside rind of the orange has these pegylated lipids, they're called. They're kind of little nubbies, kind of like spiky nubby lipids. And they are supposed to stop it from touching other things and connecting with other things like platelets in your blood and causing clots, which has been proven through the AstraZeneca study, that's what it, it actually did. Um, and then there is the the center of the orange, and I'm, I'm just going really generic here, it's not exact, but the center of the orange, about half of it is cholesterol. It's not quite the same cholesterol as what's in the human body. That's It's different type of cholesterol. And then it has some helper lipids that just helps keep its shape, and then it has some lipids that have a positive charge to them. And then there are ones that 
can get a charge. They're just kind of hanging out. And when they go in certain parts of the body, they'll have a charge too. So like a plus plus charge versus a minus, like on your battery, or if you think about when you would rub a balloon on your hair when you were a kid, you know, that actually picks up negative charges from your hair, little minuses, and these little what are called electrons, and you can stick that balloon to a wall. That's because positive and negative attract. attract. So inside of the orange, if you think about that as a lipid nanoparticle, and you've got the positive charged stuff. And at the center, if you think about the seeds as being the RNA, and that has a negative charge to it, and the positively charged lipids, the little pieces of orange bits, are stuck to the seeds in the center of the negatively charged RNA. Well, Kevin McKernan, he was the first to discover through, through sequencing uh, multiple lots uh, that they had DNA plasmid contamination in them. And when that RNA is first made, in the clinical trials, they didn't use plasmids to make the RNA. There are different ways to make RNA that goes in the, the jabs. And the, the cleaner way, the way that we use in clinical trials, is by using an enzyme, IVT, IVT, they're called enzymes, and they don't have a plasmid. They, they don't, they're, they're, they still have a risk, but it's a cleaner method. And the, you know, the, the Pfizer and Moderna, these companies that used the RNA, they decided when they sent it out to 5 billion people that they weren't going to use the clean method anymore. They were going to use the cheap and dirty method. And that is taking a bacteria called E. coli. And E. coli produces what are called endotoxins, which are very... They're very detrimental to humans and animals. And these little blobs of bacteria can actually grow a plasmid in them. And these plasmids, they're combined. They're not natural. They have a combination of things in them. I don't know if anyone's watched other shows, and I, I didn't want to go too far into that because other people have really picked this stuff apart, like Kevin McKernan. He's been on some interviews with like Epoch Times and some other shows where he goes really high into the science. and It'll glaze your eyes over. But these plasmids... DNA plasmids make the RNA, and they were supposed to be filtered out. And I think they allowed for a little bit of them in there in the jabs, saying they're safe. But the thing is, they're not just free floating around. They're in a lipid nanoparticle that can get into your cells and, uh, sadly, the nucleus. So um, recently, there were some other researchers out of Germany, and then Dr. Philip Buchholz, uh, South Carolina, who's an expert in genomics, and DNA and uh, curing, helping treat cancer, he he sequenced a lot of the vials too recently, and he appeared in a Senate hearing in South Carolina to present his data that he had found also these plasmid pieces, and he found them at a rate, and this is just just crazy. So he identified the 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 plasmid, and so it's a circle. It's like a circle. And it's it's put together by scientists, and it has different parts to it. Uh, one part of it makes the RNA. One part of it has an antibiotic resistance to it, which is part of the process. So, again, I don't want to glaze people's eyes over for part of the process when they grow it up and they make a bunch of it in the E. coli. So the E. coli is basically used as little factories. They're just pumping them out, kind of like chicken pumping out meat, but the E. coli, the bad analogy, is pumping out these DNA things that make the RNA. But this circular piece of DNA plasmid, 
is a combination of genetically modified stuff going on in there. And it's not meant to touch the human body. And when people talk about gene therapy, it's not meant to do that either. It's just meant to replicate itself about 200 times and then make a whole bunch of RNA. And Dr. Buckholtz is out of South Carolina. He tested these as well, as long as some people from Germany. And he finds that uh, there's about 2 billion copies of these fragments. And uh, far more than what the, the FDA has said should be in there. But per per orange, okay, so if there's per shot, I just want people to get their wrap their brain around this. Per shot, there are 43, so 43 billion lipid nanoparticles. So 43 billion little oranges floating around with about three pieces of RNA inside. And then each one of those has a bunch of those lipids we talked about, and some have a positive charge. But they are also each one, each one is contaminated with 200 billion pieces of plasmid in each nanoparticle. And uh, so he confirmed this. So there's, uh, yeah, the, so the recent study that just came out is uh, McKernan and Dr. David Speecher out of Canada and Dr. Jessica Rose just presented a week ago and they've got a preprint study coming out to confirm what Kevin McKernan and Dr. Buckholtz found, but they also were able to get lots and they compared them against the adverse events system. And they measured the DNA of each lot they could get their hands on. There was a dozen or so lots. And they looked at the VAERS records and they found that the more DNA plasmid that was in each lot correlated to really bad batches where people got myocarditis and, and clots and died. And so they, they've got that on Twitter as well. If you go to Kevin McKernan, I think it's just at Kevin, M-C-K-E-R-N-A-N. He's, he's been posting the data, same with David Speecher, S-P-E-I-C-H-E-R. But that, that is just, their preprint just came out and they just presented this weekend. And they, they proved the correlation between the batches that have higher amounts of DNA plasmid contamination have higher adverse events. And if you go into the numbers, because they provide the batch numbers, so you can go to this website called How Bad Is My Batch? So anyone could do this right now, and they could type in those numbers that they presented in their study, and you can look them up, and it will show you how many people had myocarditis, how many people died, did they have clots, and what happened. And again, so the, the more contamination of the DNA was present right out of the gate meant more adverse event. Does anybody presented this information to the FDA or to Pfizer or Moderna? Have they shared their findings with them or is that about to happen? I know what you're going to say. I mean, the FDA is not going to pay any attention to it and Pfizer and Moderna is just going to ignore it and hope that the mainstream media never picks it up, which it probably won't. But, um, I mean, it is bombshell stuff, this, isn't it, really? I mean, we know the jobs are 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 harming people. We know about the adverse events, but this is real crossing your T's and dotting your I's research, isn't it? This is cutting edge stuff like this is the proof in the pudding and it needs to be shared with the people who uh, approve these jobs, even if they don't do anything about it. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so Kevin McKernan did present the initial DNA plasmid contamination to the Oh, is it called Burback? There was a meeting. It was a couple of months ago. I forgot the exact date, but there was a meeting that the FDA had 
for the vaccines and they were approving them for children. I think it was, I forgot which age group, but Kevin McKernan did present directly to them publicly in their hearing a slide deck of the DNA plasma contamination, the concerns about this part on the plasmid on each one that's called an SV40 promoter. And that is something that was never submitted in the blueprint to the FDA by Pfizer. It wasn't on the Moderna DNA plasmid, but it was on the Pfizer plasmid. And when Pfizer submitted their blueprint for the plasmid to the FDA for the warp speed of the emergency order to develop these things, they failed to even include that. And this SV40 promoter that people have been talking about is linked to doing some bad stuff, uh, like uh, driving what's called the expression of oncogenes, of cancers, of making cells multiply faster than they should. Cancer cells. Yeah. So when we hear phrases like turbo cancers, people getting cancer and being told, you know, um, it's very, very advanced. This this might explain that. And can I ask you, you said they, they chose a cheap and dirty method. Yeah. You're right. Now, to, to, to be... No real way around it. Right, okay. Um, and, and I'm really interested in this. So going the cheap route, does that explain it away? Is it is it just taking a chance with doing it more um, cost effectively? Or am I being naive? Did they know that this was a possibility? Because that's a $64 million question, isn't it? I mean, yeah. did they know that? I mean, did did, did did they think of all of this stuff that Kevin McKernan has, has managed to unravel? Would this be something they should have been thinking about? Or wow. were they just rushing it out? Like you said, I mean, how quickly did they get authorization? I mean, from conception to being stuck into people's arms, Christy, we're talking, what, nine months, ten months? Not even. Well, yeah, so that's a conversation I had on the very first podcast I went on with his name is Sonny, and he's in your area. And when when you make a protein in a lab just to see it, because that was the first thing they had to do was make the spike protein itself in a lab, in a cell, Make this, you, you get what's called the gene sequence, you grow it up, uh, then you, you transfect. That's what it's called when you put the lipid nanoparticle with the RNA into the cell, and then the cell expresses, that's the word for making the protein, and then you have to put it through these columns. And think about them like straws, and it's almost like you're pouring a liquid through a straw, and you're pouring the inside of the cells with all the protein it's made, and right now you're just watching cells in the lab make spike protein the same way a cell would in your human body, except that it's in a lab and it doesn't have an immune system or anything else going on, it's just in a in a mess of stuff, and you're pouring it through a straw, and this is really simplified, but there's ways that you have to purify it out and there's parts of the straw that'll make certain parts of the, the inside of the cell stick to it. And you have what's called size exclusion, where it's filtering by size, but you're doing all this stuff. So just that part alone is 10 to 12 weeks. Then, uh, so the, the first company that I worked for, I also worked for, um, and with in tandem, uh, the site in Germany that did what is called antibody discovery. This is not animal testing yet. This is just what's called in-animal antibody discovery. This is where you shoot either with a gene gun, it's called, you shoot DNA or RNA into an animal. There's different ways to do it. It's kind of jarring, but it forces the animal to make an antibody to the antigen. Kind of the same way if you would get to, not, not in the same way rather, but if you get the flu or a cold, your, your body would make antibodies to it. It would see it, your body would react and say, hey, we, we need to make antibodies that look like these little Y-shaped things, like the letter Y, 
that stick to the outside of the antigen to mark it for destruction. So then, so again, 10 to 12 weeks to make just the protein in the lab to see it in a cell to take a look at, just to take a look at it. Then you've got the antibody discovery, which isn't even your animal testing yet. You know, then you have to send the sounds gross, the blood, the supernatant, you've got to send that back to purify it and put it back through those same straws again that are called columns, purify it out, do all these tests on it. You, you do different tests with like gel that's called Western blot. You can do Agilent. There's different names for all these fancy tests to look at the the antibody itself, what it's going to do. You know, that's another you know, six to eight weeks. Then you have animal testing, which you're testing the toxicity. And then you have the people testing. So when you say dates, March 1st is when it was beginning of March when, when the United news. States, right, said, hey, we're jumping ahead to make this stuff. And it was May 1st by human trial. So you tell me. It was mid-May, I think, May 10th. So that that you've got... 10, 11 weeks there. And what did I just say for all that time frame? Like I just said, I just said 10 to 12 for what's called protein expression, just taking a look at the protein in the lab. Then you've got several weeks to see what antibodies are made by animals. Then you've got what should be months. Well, we know actually for vaccine development, it's usually seven to 10 years. Yeah. So what I think, what I think they did is they did everything at the same time. They didn't do it in a sequence. They did everything in the same time. If they did it at all, we know they used eight rats or whatever they used. If because they, they did it. And they knew it was going to get approved. They knew a, it was going to be approved. That's amazing you saying that, if they did it at all. And then yeah. and then we, we have to remember that while I don't have a scientific bone in my body, nor a medical one, you I'm, can get one. I, yeah. Keep reading my tweets. I keep reading the keep. tweets. I'll get a degree. I get a <laughs> astrophysics. I'll be going People for. People have reading. actually asked for tests and if they can get a certificate. Brilliant. A certificate in Christy Grace. Um, <laughs> we'll have to come up with the name of the university. But you know the point I, I, I'm making here is that they did all of this while we know they knew that COVID nineteen, whatever anybody thinks about it, was a was a was a mild pathogen, very mild and harmless to the great majority of people who, um, who, who encountered it. So they knew, I mean, the, the, the point, and I know you know this, but for some of our listeners who are new to this, um, they knew from day one that there wasn't any need to make a vaccine for COVID-19. And uh, did I read somewhere, and maybe you can explain this, we've got Christy Grace on the line, by the way. Um, she wears many hats these days but um she's a scientist a biotech specialist um she's going to be she, she she's she's back at uni um we'll, 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 we'll get more on that in another show but we'll talk about your scientific qualifications which are numerous an expert in rna lnp and recombinant proteins here's the thing they knew there was no need for a job and that it's very important to keep that in mind that most people would never really be harmed at all by by covid that was a, an alarm bell for you early on, wasn't it? That that rang an alarm for you, rushing to make a jab for a very mild illness. My, I think I mentioned on one of the shows, Richie, that my brain kind of cracked when I heard that they were going to be using RNA and giving it to everyone. And yeah. I, I truly walked around in a daze for about a week, and I was stunned. And I thought, did they solve the problems that? I've seen in the lab before. Do they know something that I don't know? So that was the first thing that crossed my mind as I was giving them the benefit of the doubt, because there's there are other things that we haven't discussed. Like uh, like recent, there's a study that got buried that proved that the lipids are mutating 
the RNA and they'll mutate our RNA or DNA inside the body that comes in contact with it. It has nothing to do with the plasmids at all. I mean, those also can do mutations, but they must have known like that. So I think that study was recent. But another thing that, you know, I thought of when you asked me, when I thought of, holy smokes, like, did they, did they know what they were doing? I think there was a combination of people that knew and took orders anyway, because when we make, when anyone makes a protein in a lab, you're making what's called a recombinant protein and you piece together pieces of genetic material that normally wouldn't to make something new. And when you do that, even in a lab with cells in the lab, proteins, if people look at pictures, they have all these, they usually look like little squiggly corkscrew things. There's actually method to what it looks like madness, which looks like this crazy ball of yarn squiggled around. Every little piece of that squiggle yarn is supposed to be where it is to make it do its function. So when we would make them in a lab, sometimes they wouldn't come out the way they're supposed to. They would be what is called misfolded. And misfolded proteins can stick to other proteins and can lead to Alzheimer's or other neurodegenerative diseases, which we're seeing an extreme uptick in. Dr. Kevin McCairn is a... Uh, a neuroscientist I, I tried to connect you with, and I think the the ships kept passing in the night and something happened. No, no, we'd love to have him on, but I, I'd have to have... Do you know we'd need to do four hours, and we'd have to have somebody Probably. sitting down explaining each multiple-syllable word, Christy, because... Um, it's a lot. You it's a, a lot to take in, Some yeah. these guys need translators, sure. I mean, you straddle the fence quite well now, to be fair to you, for a science geek. Did I actually say that live <laughs> on the radio? You, 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 you do well to remember. You always rein it in when you remember. Well, you can sense when people are, are glazing off, and that's a, a gift, I think, so uh, to, right. your, to your credit. But Thanks. I vividly remember you saying this to me, is that when you heard they were going to be giving mRNA shots or RNA shots, you, you've, I vividly remember this, you saying, my God, um, have they solved the problems with it that had kept coming up in the labs um, in, in, in previous years? C can I read out a few questions? Because there's lots of questions, sure. right? And this is a live radio show. And um, I'm not going to brag, but there are tens of thousands of people listening to this at the moment. And we've had... You're a popular guy. No, no, no. The, 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 Before we the, go, though, today, because we have another 40 minutes, right? I yeah, just want to talk just about... Just under, yeah. So later, remind me a little bit to talk about the, the pegylated lipid a little more and then the RNA being mutated by the lipids, actually, because that's something that got buried and covered up. But yeah, go for the questions. I'm excited to talk to Sounds you. Sounds good. I won't talk be able to, to pronounce the first bit of that you just mentioned there. Later on, you said we should talk about this. I, I couldn't pronounce that. So I, you're just going to have to do it yourself later on. And I'm, right. I'm not being silly when I say that. The Christie I don't care if you are. Yeah, the Christie Grace University of Logical Sciences, Stephen. That's the, <laughs> that's the university. Um, Isabel reckons farmers went the cheap and fast way to try and have their vaccine the fastest on the market in order to win the big uh, contracts. That's what she says. But there are a load of questions here now. And I want to get to some of them. Sarah asks this. Richie, could you ask Christy? I spoke to you some months ago about my 45-year-old brother being diagnosed with amyloidosis, amyloidosis and multiple oh. myeloma. He's, oh. had, he's had chemo and he's starting stem cell therapy next month. Could the jab have caused the protein misfold, thereby causing the amyloidosis, 
or is the myeloma that's causing the amyloidosis, ask Sarah, in your opinion. I'm so sorry, Sarah. I remember her. And I think I was going to do a substack and then I shut it down because it was getting poached by certain media entities and doctors going on podcasts and they were misrepresenting the data. Um, so I remember her. I'm so sorry because this is the same woman that, that called in, I think, in March, correct? Oh, I'm so sorry. Uh, for anyone listening, um, our friend Nick likes to say this about our friend Dr. Kevin McCairn is that under the rubble of his stunted social graces beats the heart of a warrior. If you go to at nest, N-E-S-T, commander, C-O-M-M, is in Mary, and A-N-D-E-R, commander, he's the neuroscientist. So he has worked, and he has tested these as well when she asked this question. Uh, him and some other scientists, I know there's other scientists, a study just came out recently where there are multiple spots on the spike protein that cause it to misfold and that could lead to, to neurodegenerative disease. Dr. McCairn confirmed with Kevin McKernan, we like to call uh, Kevin McCairn Japan Kev because he's in Japan and I won't say that we have joking names for the, the guy in the, the, the U.S., <laughs> Kevin McKernan, because, you know, he, he does weed. He does weed genomics. Uh, so, McKernan confirmed on the injection of the, the RNA, there is a spot that makes the spike protein that they conserved, it's called they kept, that is the same that was on the virus that was the concern that it misfolds and is amyloid, amyloidogenic. That they kept they, that part of the spike protein, part, part of the sequence, part of the instruction in the email has a spot in it that will make the spike protein that is being produced in human bodies to misfold. So that, so I've heard of other people. Uh, I had lunch recently with my friend, uh, early September, said his wife has onset, early onset, rapid onset dementia. And, and it's devastating. And it started with her just being uh, paranoid, anxiety, panic all the time. It, it came on really quickly. And the doctors don't know if it was a combination of her getting the first Delta, which was more, the, more had more of the protein misfolding going on, I think, than the current mutation is having. So I can't say because I'm not a medical doctor, but to have, but both of these things that Sarah is saying, and I'm so sorry, again, there are studies. I'm going to post them under the, I'm writing it down. I'm going to post it. If you post on Twitter, Richie, I'll post the studies under your link that uh, Will do. should should correlate. It talks about vaccine and multiple myeloma because that's the cancer of the blood. And then uh, the amyloid at the, at the same time? Are, are you effing kidding me? He has so amyloid and multiple myeloma simultaneously. Another thing Dr. McCairn, Kevin McCairn out of Japan, has been talking about is this P53. It's kind of the guardian of the genome, it's called, that uh, is most likely implicated in what we are calling turbo cancers, which Kevin McKernan and others have spoken about. Dr. McCairn just had a show. He does these streams. It was yesterday. And he found a study that shows this P53 that is involved in cancer and cell regulation is also involved in protein misfolding which was the biggest shocker. We couldn't believe it. 
So so he, Dr. McCarron, actually just did a little show on this. It's just a little tiny video where, stream. Where can does. people find this? On BitChute or Rumble, is it? Rumble, yeah. He got McCarron Dojo, but on, grab his, his handle quick. But on Twitter, he's Nest Commander, and it's hard to find him because he is shadow banned, as you can imagine. Of course he is, yeah. Ultimately, what it sounds to me, not to be trying to reduce everything that we've spoken about this year into a couple of sentences, not to, to, even though I'm going to do that. Oh, I do don't it. mean to do that. But no, ultimately, genetic mutation is happening in the body as a result of what's in the jabs, as you've described it. And again, because every single one of us is different, we're biologically different, um, right? We have the same chromosomes if we're male or female, but we've got so much going on and it is informed by our environment and also informed by the things we ingest, the things we eat, the things we drink, the things we shouldn't eat and shouldn't drink. As I said, the environment, that mutations are happening in the body. And for some, it's myocarditis. For others, it's cancer. For others, they might be lucky and nothing yet. That's what I'm taking from this. And that those who would have known that mRNA had the problems you knew mRNA had before 2020, they should have known or they are likely to have known that these things were a possibility. So, yeah. That's about yeah. right, isn't it? Yeah. Can I just For read the out? Yeah. Sure. Can I, can I read out some more? June says, sure. Richie, I love Christy. Today, a defibrillator has been installed in the centre of my village. All the surrounding villages are having them installed. It makes me wonder if someone somewhere knows what they have done. That is interesting because I've seen that around the UK when we've been on holiday this year down in Plymouth defibrillators are in places they never were before and I understand in this country Christy here in the UK they're rolling them out in schools right across the country where people just don't have heart attacks usually in schools in schools yeah because kids having heart attack yeah is now fashionable is now a thing that was terrible to say I'm sorry holy crap on a cracker wow in yeah. schools I think I just read I uh, was that was on the news that an eight-year-old had a heart attack? I didn't see that. Yeah. Yeah, and I had um, the soccer legend, um, Matt Letizia, on the programme a week or so ago. Um, he played soccer at the very highest level, Christy. You know, played for England, um, played in the Premier League for years, and uh, he still attends football, and he does some commentary and stuff. And games being brought to a temporary halt by the on-field referee because somebody has collapsed in the crowd. That's a thing now as well. I mean, that was a once-in-a-blue-moon thing a few years ago. Very, very unusual. Now it's happening constantly. And I go and watch Manchester United, Christy, for my sins. That's my punishment, right? <laughs> we are garbage, Christy. But I go, <laughs> I go and watch them. I go and see pretty much all of their home games. I'd love to go with you. Oh, I do. It I'll, like I'll, a blast. We'll, we'll, I'll take you to, because my, my missus won't go. She's got more sense. So next time, <laughs> if you are in the UK, I'll take you to, I'll show you um, Old Trafford. I'm not but, your average scientist. No, no, you're not your average scientist. No, you're not entirely geek. I, I get that. It's coming through loud and clear. But you know, do you know what, Christy? Uh, twice last season, if not three times, when I was at a game, 74,000 people there, right? Um, the game was stopped because somebody taken unwell in the crowd. It's not normal. No, no. And 
I apologize if I don't remember all of the study authors' names. There was a recent study that actually proves the charge again uh, being implicated on on the lipid nanoparticle where it's has a higher negative charge. Pfizer said it was only supposed to be minus three. There's no way it can be that. The the, the little electrical charge that makes it float around and attracts it to things. But a recent study they were able to show of people that had myocarditis or died that it showed spike protein in the heart. And then they found remnants of the RNA in the heart, and they didn't find it anywhere else in the human body, which means it made its, it zipped its way right through the bloodstream like it would if it had a high DNA contamination because it had a high negative charge. And the negative charge, it wants to go into the bloodstream, into the heart, into what's called the vascular. But this recent study, and I'm so sorry that I'm not remembering the names, there's just so many authors, showed that the spike protein that they found in the heart was the there's a difference in the spike protein that is made in the body versus what's made in the jabs. And the one that is made in the heart has, there's a nucleocapsid, so it, it has a different marker on it. It has a different flag, a different signal flare. So when you go in and you do, you do imaging and you test it, you can actually see if you had spike protein in you because you were sick from infection, which was also manufactured in a bio lab. So I guess we can say it's you know, not entirely natural, but that it came from the jabs. So, right. So all of these, these people collapsing. So they, they started testing, testing the heart and the people that, that died and found that, that spike protein. In the tissue. Was, yeah. In the tissue. Yeah. And inflammation, inflammation in the same tissue where the spike protein was. And the spike protein was specific to the jab and not to infection. And these are discoveries by sound and yeah. credible scientific men and women, ethical people. Uh, these are not chancers trying to get a name for themselves. These are right. proper studies. And and nobody knows this stuff if they're not following people like yourself, if they're not following certain streams, if they're not listening to certain radio programs. They won't know this stuff. Speaking of top-class sports men and women, um, Peter Ebden is a great friend of the programme's He's a former world snooker champion. If you say snooker, you're gone, Christy. I'm going to hang up on you. It's <laughs> snooker. It's not snooker. I don't know what's wrong with you over there in America, but uh, it's uh, it's like um, nine ball pool, but with much more skill on a much bigger table with lots of balls. I know you know that. I'm just winding you up. But Peter says, given the huge numbers of people that have been vaccinated, this has got to be the greatest crime against humanity in history and by a very, very long way. Do we even have an idea as to how many people globally took the vaccines, Christy? I mean, wow. what have we got? Just under 7 billion people on planet Earth. If only a billion took them, and it's probably more, uh, judging, wow. by what, judging by your work and the work of your colleagues, we, we kind of have an idea of the odds. That's one that maybe you'll, you'll, probably, you'll be working on in the coming months I suppose or some of your colleagues will be what are the odds you know if you can calculate the odds of being harmed by a COVID jab but the odds are not good I, I don't imagine I'll just call him Peter and say thank you <laughs> I, yeah. I have to <laughs> thanks for the question the, there's a there's a philosophical quote by Sophocles uh, nothing vast enters the life of mortals without a curse when you talked about the number of people, I think we're, are we pushing eight or nine billion now? I think I read at least five billion people 
on the planet have had at least one injection, have had at least one. Uh, I think there was a UK study done that showed the majority of the people that had just one and were done didn't get more because something bad happened. It wasn't because they just all of a sudden decided it wasn't really a, their thing anymore. Something bad happened to them. And I think that study showed that they had a greater mortality rate of, it was like double, was it 145% or 200% of dying sooner, which sucks, but it didn't happen with everybody, but that the people that had at least one. Uh, I know that Edward Dowd has been doing incredible studies, if anyone has seen him, and he's been looking at the insurance data and the disability data is just off the charts and yeah. the mortality data. There's a, a guy that I've talked to, uh, not just, you know, he's privately a couple of times to uh, ethical skeptic. It's uh, his, he doesn't use his real name publicly. Uh, if you go on Twitter, it's ethical skeptic. He is running crazy data. And at first it looks really hard to decipher. And he's been pulling from CDC wonder and the mortality and then he'll run up can he'll run uh, data on cancer, and he does it every single week. And he's been doing it, I think, you know, for at least last year, year and a half, if not longer, where there is something crazy like uh, the percentage of cancer and mortality that is up is just through the roof. Even so if, when, sorry, Christy, even if you subtract the number of cancer cases that happened unnaturally because people were not treated because they were uh, not that time frame's already passed though. it's passed so I think that's yeah. been an argument that, that was a popular argument because the march of 2021 was the inflection date on the graph so that when we say that the inflection date that's when if you draw a line on the graph and you're looking at certain numbers and then it shoots up and skyrockets into the sky for the amount of cancers there there was a delay but so we, we actually have, so when you bring that up and when Peter brings that up, we've got bigger fish to fry because um, Philip, Dr. Buckholtz has, you know, stated uh, as well that there are things that will mutate some of your cells and they're only around a little bit of the time. Like I, I like to compare them to the life of a fly. A fly doesn't really live that long. You've got cells that don't live that long, but if mutations happened or some damage happened, some of these cells are going to kick the bucket anyway and they're going to be gone. You don't have to worry about them. They're off the farm. They're gone. But if it gets, if something happens, you know, people have been talking about genetic uh, integration or genomic integration where pieces of the plasmid could get inserted. So that's not even, that's not even needs, doesn't need to happen for, to shit, for shit to go south. The, it just needs to break um, there's a mechanism, so it just needs to break the DNA. And we know from a study, Packer et al., 2021, that I found that was buried that I didn't even know when you talked about people, did they know or not, that found, if you think back to the lipid nanoparticle and the pieces of lipids that have a positive charge to them, this study used what's called rever reverse, uh, it was HPLC it's called, and they, they used reverse uh, ion, uh, like, Pair. I forget the exact name, but they used really advanced imaging that wasn't used before. And they say this in the study, they used imaging and tests that were never used before on the lipid nanoparticle to see what was going on inside. And they saw that impurities in the positive lipids were doing this thing called attacking the RNA. For any of you who know science, it's called electrophilic attack, but it's attacking, attacking the RNA and it's mutating it and it's making it misfold 
that would go to prion inside the lipid nanoparticle in all of them. And they tested it every type of brand. So it didn't matter what company it was. It was hundreds of different brands. They, they, they studied all these different ones and it did it every time. Uh, there were variances for, I think, uh, if it, the piece of RNA is longer, it was going to mutate it more because there were more spots because it likes the, the negative charge in the RNA. So the more negative charges it has on it, the longer piece of RNA, the more it's going to mutate it. It's going to make it clump together, aggregate, misfold, can lead to neurodegenerative or it can mutate. So if it came in contact with pieces of RNA that aren't part of the lipid nanoparticle that are in our body, it can mutate that. And I guess the one good, the good thing is, you know, that doesn't last forever. That, that's, uh, that, that's not going to keep going. But with the DNA plasmids in that lipid nanoparticle, if they made their way into the nucleus and the positively charged lipids hitched a ride because they're attached to it and came in contact with the DNA, the positively charged lipids can mutate the RNA. Again, that study is Packer et al. 2021. So we talked about myself and others. Dr. Buckholz has said this and others that our first round of cancers aren't done yet. Uh, there's can that was the rapid cancer. The the down the road cancers are three to five years. Do you know and we don't know what the percentage is going to be. And it's going to be low, like Doc, like Philip has said, it's going to be it should be low, but they're going to be there three to five years. I think in this country they'll try and hide them in the never ending news stories about. Um, seven million people on waiting lists for exploratory procedures. I think that's going to be their get out of jail card in the UK because at the moment, uh, Christy, it's a, it's about seven million people who are going to be waiting another year or more for um, exams, for medical exams that they should get pretty quickly because of the lockdown backlogs when the National Health Service became exclusively a COVID health service. So I totally buy what you've said and I can see how they'll try and explain it away. Amazingly, they'll, they'll admit that we shouldn't have stopped treating everything else, but this is the consequence when in fact some or many of these cancers may very well be as a result of the jabs. They're pretty devious really, aren't they? There's some people, like you said, that are more predispositioned and they're... There's formulas, there's called a multi-hit theory, but the, some people, some of the doctors out there are saying that they are seeing patients that didn't drink or smoke. They they were athletes and they developed glio, glioblo, glioblastoma, which is a type of brain cancer that that's happening a lot, a lot more in the cases that it's brain cancer, cancer of the uterus. Uh, a couple of my friends are pathologists who are saying they have not seen this number of appendiceal cancer, which is cancer of your appendix. One of my friends who's a pathologist of 30 years says that he never saw a single case as a pathologist who looks at two to 300 slides of tissue all day tracking cancer has just never saw one. And, and now they're, they're popping every other week that where he's seeing cancer of the appendix or just really odd cancers that they, Weird they had cancers. not seen. Weird. Of the and that they're stage four too, so it's not that they are presenting at the earliest stage. It's, uh, I have some friends and some acquaintances, and I haven't had this discussion, and, and I just don't have I don't have the heart to. 
who lost friend who lost their spouses to cancer in a matter of weeks. My friend's wife died uh, last Christmas, and I I didn't have I, I'm not having that conversation. No, you're right. You can't, Christy. You can't do that. I totally get that. I mean, it's it's going to be a burden, isn't it? I mean, it's bad enough. I mean, there's a listener to this program, um, a long time listener, and she was given a very serious cancer diagnosis about six months ago. Oh no! Uh, yeah, out of the blue, um, stage four. You know out of the blue and uh, had been only a year or so before, even during the lockdown nonsense, had, um, you know, because of her age, she's she's over 50, so she'd have the blood tests done every year, again, free on the National Health Service, and there was nothing wrong with her, nothing. But um, sadly, she had the jabs. Now, we can't be sure, of course, that the jabs had anything to do with it. It would be irresponsible of me to say that, but she's wondering, she had two jabs. Obviously, we'll never have another one. Um, and, and good luck to her in her in her battle with her cancer. But she's plagued by concerns or, or worries that it might be related to the jabs because, again, 12 months previously, full set of blood work. Uh, now you're, you're, you're perfect for 53. You're perfect. You're good. You've got nothing to worry about. A year later, you've got deadly cancer. This is after the jabs. So sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Shocking, isn't it? I'm so sorry. Yeah, it's shocking. Now, again, the jabs might not be involved. You just don't know. But these are things that need to be investigated. Well, like, I try to hold back from saying graphic things. And I said it on another show. I got the call. So when I quit Twitter and I came back, I quit Twitter and I I would log back in every 29 days before 30 days before it uh, would permanently delete. You can do that. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that loophole where you can deactivate for 29 days, reactivate before day 30. It won't delete it permanently. And then you can just keep doing that over and over again to keep it in a hold status. When I left Twitter back in, was it June? My mom called me because she is the emergency contact for a few of our family members. And my aunt had just died um, a couple of days ago. And uh, before in June, I got the call from my mom that both my uncle and my brother were in the hospital and my uncle had multiple blood clots in his lung and my brother has had an immune disorder and I'm trying not to be graphic here. It causes his body to attack himself. So he had this immune disorder before the jabs and it's not cancer, but it causes these really oddities like growths, but uh, it's a... it, it caused necrosis and it disfigured it, it, he he's disfigured and uh, they they think that the doctors think in, in his face and he's had to have multiple surgeries this is my younger brother and they I got the call simultaneously that he was in the hospital with with that uh, having my brother was having fast surgery and uh, my uncle was in for multiple blood clots and that was my aunt of um, my my uncle's wife who just died uh, that's you know, terrible. A couple of days ago. So, uh, I'm really sorry to hear that, Chris. That's, that's thanks, lousy. Richie. It's so, lousy. I've, need my, I've needed my pauses because um, lousy. Uh, science hasn't been my only job. And now, you know, my new career is working inpatient trauma. And then to, to open my own business for right now, I've been interning for inpatient trauma and working side by side with patient, people in the hospital of trauma. But when you asked that question, she asked that question, I, I can't. I'm not 
a doctor to say that happened or not, because I know like you and I talked about certain doctors in the news saying that person died from that. And we know that. And, and you and I pushed back saying, you, we can't say that. Yeah. You don't know that guy died from that. But when it's your own family and it's hitting hard and like, uh, I think I can say this because publicly the guy who calls himself the ethical skeptic, he has had six of his family members die. I think in the last six months. And there was a couple of weeks where him him and his wife were were going to separate hospices together. And it was right after his relatives, his his aunts, his relatives, you know, got the jabs. And it's been a combination of clots and cancers. And some people are some people are fighting and living. Like we know Adam who is from, is he close to Scotland? Is Adam I'm, Roland? I'm trying to think oh, of his yeah, name. He's, yeah. he's injured. He was in the United States recently getting really stem nice cell guy. treatment. Yeah. So I wish your friend luck with the stem cell treatment. I know there's yeah, different was... types of stem cells, so I hope I hope it helps. And, and... But there are people that are like fighting and living, right? Like um, uh, Noah. Noah and I have talked a few times. He keeps telling me to come over and he'll find me a boyfriend. And uh... <laughs> Over here, over, over in the UK. <laughs> <laughs> there's some uh, there's some geniuses over here, Christy. Um, but but you know, I'm more concerned about someone being loving and giving than than being a genius. But go ahead. No, that, that was being sarcastic when I said I know, that. Yeah, I know. But, but um, on, on um, you mentioned Adam there and Noah. The thing that would upset me as much as anything else about them is how it must feel to be ignored. You know, you, you've been wronged by your government because your government um, was corrupt enough to allow these jobs to be passed into circulation and they just ignored them. I mean, they wouldn't come on, they wouldn't have had to come on programs like this if they were, you know, taken seriously by the, the mainstream media. It must be a terrible thing to be in that situation and for people to ignore you. And, you know, they're so selfless, aren't they? What, what, what they want to do is not to talk about themselves. They want others to hear their story so that they will refuse these jobs in the future or at least will, will ask for more information before accepting them. That's what I really love about the injured, you know, who I've met on this programme. Their only concern is giving that info to other people to help them make a better decision. It's altruism. Beautiful example of it, I think. You know? I want to say that I, I'm not anti-vaccine. I have full vaccination. I've heard some people say they have more than others because I worked in I worked in surgery for a time. So I worked in oral surgery before I went to the pharmacy route and to the science route. Um, I initially, you know, I have other other majors too, but I had to have extra vaccinations at the time because I was working with what are called blood-borne pathogens in the hospital. So I had to have extra vaccinations than what other people would get. And the the... I even got uh, what's called Tdap in the spring of 2020, where I like all the parks were closed. So I was jogging out because you and I talked about we both go for runs. I was yeah. jogging on the trails and I got caught up in what appeared to be barbed wire, and I was out of date on my tetanus shot. And when I went to the the hospital, I think it was April, uh, they put me in the quote, COVID line, even though I came in with my leg was just bleeding all over the place and said, hey, I need some stitches and I need a tetanus shot and you can send me on my way. And they said, do you have any signs of sore throat, runny, ro runny nose, fever, cough, body aches, recent loss of taste or smell? And I got put in the COVID line and I knew because they, they were pushing people over there. So I walked out and I went to a pharmacy in the middle of nowhere where there was one guy working and he gave me my 
my tetanus shot and patched up my leg and we kind of used a, a liquid super glue to try to, because it needs <laughs> stitches. But uh, yeah, there were, there was, uh, when you talk about people, you know, I know for a fact, you know, Noah has said that, you know, how long did he go where his doctors ignored him? And did he see Dr. Malhotra? I forgot who he saw, who he saw specifically who diagnosed him with myocarditis when he was told it was all in his head. So not just the government, but doctors refusing to see their patients, no longer seeing them, gaslighting them, telling them it's functional, it's a functional disorder, uh, a switch just flipped in your head, where you have some kind of psychosomatic, where you just need some stress relief or maybe some SSRIs. I think there's been somebody published a freaking paper saying COVID hesitancy and psychosomatic, that it's just all in your head and psychological response. What a bunch of crap. And, and while that's absolutely true, don't forget there are the cognitive dissonance oh, people. Sure. I've, I've, I know of somebody who's had a reaction after two and then went and got a third, honestly. And ah, there's a, a young... It goes both ways. Crazy. There's a young woman who is healthy. Um, she works in health herself, believe it or not, and uh, has had four of them and had an issue after one or two and knows there's an issue and when i asked her i said why do you keep having them and i think it's it's just down to to uh to work i think it's down to just wanting an easy life at work we're right bang up on time look i know there were other things you wanted to talk about but we'll have to leave uh, those for another day um it's at underscore heart of grace underscore that's where you'll find christy on twitter i'll put links to Christy, on the podcast notes for this, this is a live radio show, but it's going to go online in around about 25 minutes time. Is there anything else you'd like to say to people in terms of, because you've done some brilliant um, one-to-ones with people on video, where you get to use graphs and you get to use crayons, as you said earlier on, <laughs> to, uh, to explain these things. Where should people find those? Because they are really helpful. I will post, I guess it's only helpful if I can do this on Twitter where I could post the links. Um, I've been on Discernible, D-I-S-C-E-R-N. I'm trying to think, of, how do you spell freaking Discernible? I haven't slept. Matt Wong in Australia, Discernible Discernible podcast. Don't ask so I me. Have a, I have a two and a half hour show there. I have Sunny. Uh, Sonny did podcasts uh, called The Open Forum on YouTube. So if you YouTube my name, Christy Grace, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-E, G-R-A-C-E. You'll also find some whistleblowing podcasts that I did where I recorded undercover that have nothing to do with any of this, which is the whole reason I joined Twitter, which we're going to have to talk about someday because Abigail Schreier has coming out with a new book and she has parts of me in it. So we've got a lot to talk about later when you have me on. Yeah, but discern- sure. discernible podcast, if you go on YouTube, open forum. And then I have I did a recent presentation for Vijan Health, um, uh, geopolitics and empire. I talked about the laws changing and the the things changing around genetic products in the NIH. So that was more of a political show. And then Nest Commander. I've done a few there. N e s t c o m m a n d e r. So it's Twitter at or you know the Twitter at Nest Commander, and that's Dr. McCarn. And again, uh, his views are not my own. Uh, I won't apologize for his lack of social graces, but uh, again, beats the heart of a warrior. And he's he's a really great neuroscientist, so he does a lot of shows. So I've been on a few of them now. Brilliant. And and Richie Richie Allen, uh, we had one in March, and you know those are audio. 
Audio. That's right. That's and me. on Twitter, I just made a series of 10 threads explaining what a lipid nanoparticle is, what the lipids are, and I brought it down to street level as much as I could as if I was teaching a 16-year-old. And that's how you must approach this from now on in. This is the right attitude because um, most of us, um, it's it's very easy to get lost. It really is uh, because we most of us have high school biology and that's the end of it. You know, most of us then didn't have the the uh, the brain that, that you have to, to carry on with it. But you do an excellent job of it. Um, you really do. Because it can't be easy for you either. Uh, to Not to dumb it down, but to simplify it. Because it is complicated. So it's at underscore um, heart of grace underscore. I'll put links to... If you tweet those videos out now, I'll put some of those links on the podcast. And uh, all there is to say is thanks for doing what you do, Christy. You're very much appreciated. And um, we'll be in touch, of course. And I'm sure we'll talk again in the near future. Um, brilliant to have you back. Thank you, even though you're obviously shattered. Um, thanks, Richie. I've got, I've got people around me that are taking care of me. Thank you. And sorry to hear about your family, genuinely. It can't thanks. be easy, that. And you still came on in any case. Thanks, Christy. We'll Thanks, catch up with Richie. Christy again in the near future. Christy Grace, who is a scientist. Um, she is a biotech specialist, an expert in the field of RNA, LNP and recombinant proteins. We wish her the very best with the book she's writing as well about the impact of lockdowns and mask wearing, the impact it's going to have on child development and child education. That'll be fascinating when that eventually is is published. So thanks to Christy. Thanks to you for all your messages, by the way. Um, and sorry I didn't get through more of them, but you can hear it. It's not easy. We had to cover a lot on the programme tonight. I'm back with you tomorrow, Tuesday at 5 o'clock UK time. Until then, uh, it's bye for me. And I just want to say happy birthday to a great friend of ours, uh, a really good pal. That's my mate, Andrew Wilson, and Andrew's wife, Sophie. Good evening, Sophie. Good evening, Andrew. Andrew is a British Airways pilot. He's off today because today is his birthday. So happy birthday, pal. And thanks for being a big supporter of the independent media and a good pal as well. Closing out with Simply Red until tomorrow. It's a bye from me. 